This episode is with Richard Grove of Grand Theft World Podcast. He is... This episode's ridiculous. It's so it's so deep. Like, I, I just wrapped it, and I'm telling you guys, this is going to blow your mind. Needless to say, we go so deep. We talk origins of COVID, monkeypox, everything under the sun, <clears throat> whether or not Trump's a deep state asset, uh, everything. Everything, and he has the documents, as Alex Jones would say. So... Uh, Stay tuned. You're going to absolutely love it. For those that are watching this right now, you are watching it exclusively on my locals because there is no way in hell I could put this on YouTube. It is fire start to finish. So if you want to support my work as well as see the video version of this episode, please go to libertylockdown.locals.com and sign up to become a supporting member over there. It really helps with uh, just revenue so that I can fund marketing for the, the show. And the bigger the audience, the, the greater the message. Uh, circulation becomes and the more people we can reach and wake up. So if you care about that at all, doesn't have to be a ton of money, five bucks a month or something like that, whatever. Uh, it helps a lot. So I hope some of you will do so, especially after you hear the value in this episode, because it is invaluable. It is so, so good. Uh, go to libertylockdown.locals.com to become a supporting member. And this episode is brought to you by Expat Money Summit. It's an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikkel Thorpe. He is from expatmoney.com. With over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore, it's free to attend. Costs you nada. Go to expatmoneysummit.com. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, legally, how and where to safety, safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family. By the way, after this episode, you may very very much want to know this information. <laughs> just, just warning you how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You'll also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. And boy, does that sound good to me right now. Whew. Register now for free. Go to expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. Special guest just announced that will be there, and you don't have to be there in person. You could just watch it online. The great Ron Paul. Don't miss it. Enjoy the episode. It's a it's a banger. Today's episode is also brought to you by careerhackers.com. If you are in a position of needing to improve your life, just broadly, if you just want to improve your life at all, if you are in a treacherous career path or one that's not fulfilling or one that's not providing you the type of income that you think that you deserve, this is a great starting point. Again, free, cost you nothing. Go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the Daily Job Hunt newsletter. That's one of the services they provide over there that will give you some information on how to stand apart as a job applicant. And in a competing world, it is important that you are unique. And this is a very quick and easy way to figure out how to do so. Again, go to careerhackers.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I am Blessed and honored to have on today, Mr. Richard Grove. He's the host of Grand Theft World and founder of Autonomy. And I heard him in January on Thaddeus Russell's Unregistered podcast, breaking down the depopulation agenda. And I think ever since then, I have been utterly blackpilled. So <laughs> I wanted to have him come on and see if he can uh, disabuse me of the blackpilling. And, and there's a ton of stuff that we're going to cover today. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me, Richard. Thank you, Clint. And uh, I'm a white pill optimist, so hopefully some of that can osmotically make it through 
and permeate throughout this uh, StreamYard stream. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Um, so let's start with uh, going deep, as I like to do. Um, which families led, if there were any, or if it was some sort of organic concoction, led to the creation of the World Economic Forum? And if so, is ESG their brainchild? Do you know? Well, that's a deep question. Yeah, I go in the deep end right away. Straight to the right. deep end, brother. No, so um, first off, I'd point out some good resources on this. Like I could show you, uh, I, I will when I talk about it, but uh, 1970, Predicament of Mankind was a Club of Rome document. And from that, they next year created the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab. And then Aurelio Pache and uh, Prince Bernard, Bernard of the Netherlands, an SS officer for the Nazis, he was also at the Davos Manifesto in 1973. So prior to that, so what you have is Club of Rome is interested in population agenda, limits to growth, how far, you know, this whole sort of artificial limiting of our culture, over-polluting, conspicuous consumption, things to make people believe the world is breaking down so that they'll accept this uh, agenda. And they write openly about it. And um, as far as the families behind that, I would go back to 1954, post-World War II, when they made the Bilderberg Conference, because that's a lot of family-oriented corporations that started that, and then it drove what later became like the Davos World Economic Forum outer ring agenda. So the inner ring on that will be Bilderberg, and the outer ring will be the outer-facing public messaging of it as the World Economic Forum. Same agenda. And the inner rings with those would be like Council on Foreign Relations, Royal Institute of International Affairs, and the inner ring of that is the nonprofit foundations and the robber baron families who created all these non-governmental organizations to shape world policy ahead of time so that people would have no choice but to take that path. Okay. And it's been going so, on for about 100 years. Modern incarnation is the ESG regulations to make it almost impossible for mom and pop shops to stay open. And it totally favors the banker approved corporate elites and all their little subsidiaries and they'll buy up all these other little mom and pop shops along the way and offer their corporate ESG governance policy. So it's not like uh, global warming. It's more like global governance that they're working on. Yeah. Well, that, I, that has become crystal clear to me over the past couple of years as I've dug into some of these, you know, quote unquote conspiracy theories. And I'm, I mean, they are conspiracy theories, but they sure have a hell of a lot of evidence to prove that these people are conspiring. Um, I'm curious, do you know where these ideas, because this is a fairly intricate structure, you know, you have, as you described it, the inner ring, the outer ring, the World Economic Forum, like, do you know where the original inception of this, you know, this new paradigm, this this brainchild of these, these you know, handful of families actually arose? Because I can't imagine that it's done in the open with say at Davos where you have all these other CEOs and, and, you know, Titans of industry, I would imagine it has to start in the inner ring as you described. It. How far back do you want me to go? Like if I went back 10 years to the, to the year 2013, the, uh, the Rothschilds, the IMF, the world bank, they came up with this idea called inclusive capitalism. Include, mm. And when you go back to like the videos of this, it's, um, uh, uh, Christine Lagarde from IMF introducing Lynn Forrester to Rothschild. And what she says is they have one third of the world's investable wealth in one room and that poverty is a problem and that rich people are going to solve it for them. 
and that the green agenda, like we need climate change, you know, changes in the world and they're going to do that for us, this sort of thing. And it didn't really go anywhere and nobody talked about it. And I was like, oh, that fizzled. But as soon as COVID came along, that same group of people bought, brought on the Vatican and then they said, hey, inclusive capitalism's the thing. And that's where I was like, okay, so like they make, they call their shot and you think nothing's going to happen. And then when these other plans click in, all these other things click in too, like the, uh, the commons pass, the social credit score that they're bringing in in other parts of the world and kind of like shaping us to take that harness, those reins, if you will, like a worker animal. And uh, that's not freedom. So there's a long history behind it, but I could go back a hundred years. I could go back 200 years. Um, and if you go back to like, who were the ruling families before that? You can follow it from the, the Venetian banking power into Europe, where it became this family called the Fuggers, F-U-G-G-E-R-S. Those Fuggers. And then those Fuggers, man. Jacob <laughs> Fugger was one of them. And, uh, you know, so we could go deep into the, any of these types of things. But the general um, uh, change that the Rothschilds brought was international banking without having to transfer boatloads or cartloads of gold. They would do it with paper and courier pigeons and between their five banks, they were controlling the international banking power of Europe, funding various aspects of revolutionary wars and conflicts. It's fascinating history. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a factual history. They On Rothschild.org, you could go to the family archives into the timeline and read all about it. <laughs> so then I was like, what else is there? What else is there that exists? That is being hidden from us because the only reason they hide stuff is they hide the useful information about reality. They give us the useless bits, right? Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so it's not just like they had power back at the time of Napoleon. They're still influential on what's going on today and the reshaping of the Great Reset. So well, tre tremendously uh, powerful. I, I mean, far more powerful than I had ever given credence to. I, mm -hmm. I honestly didn't think that there was this very extravagant intricate uh plan that they could actually implement at the drop of a hat and then the covid uh you know lockdowns begin and it's like all of a sudden okay yeah there's some there's some real nefarious things that are all clicking off kind of like a chain of dominoes and and i i just i struggled to explain it any other way than this has to be orchestrated in some fashion i uh, see so you got a book there what you pulling up for me <laughs> I'm pulling up this book. It's called Fire in the Minds of Men, Origins of the Revolutionary Faith. And it's... Uh, that is a tome. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's a uh, it's written by the Librarian of Congress at the time, James H. Billington, who was also uh, a Rhodes Scholar, meaning that his Oxford education was paid for by the Rhodes Trust because he was part of the Anglo-American establishment class that they were grooming. Right where they oh, I lost my camera. Let's plug it back in. Let's do it live. That's how we roll. And let's go to uh, a book cover. See, that's from the other day. All right, deactivate that source, reactivate that source. Now we can see fire in the minds of men. Let's adjust this up so it looks purdy. James X. Billington, Origins of the Revolutionary Faith. And this was published in, I'm thinking 1988. But let's look. Really? 1980 by James H. Billington. So if we wow. go into this book one, now this is a library in a Congress. He has access to all the info. He writes this book, uh, the idea of revolution, the locus of legitimacy, occult origins of organization. These are secret societies, <laughs> Italian secret societies, Greek secret societies, American secret societies, right? Wow. The conspiratorial constitutionalists. 
learn about real active conspiracy in history and you know then you can discern what is conspiracy theory what is conspiracy uh actuality prophecy the emergence of the, an intelligentsia so this guy called bf trentowski in 1841 he coins the phrase cybernetics but he also coins the term the intelligentsia like the new leadership or ruling class very much like the world economic forum is the new intelligentsia the the leadership or the governance or management faction the mandarin faction right these people to rule over everyone else the magic medium journalism oh how is journalism used in revolutions this is a fascinating book but uh what you won't find in here is you know he, he thanks the rockefeller foundation you know woodrow wilson school for scholars <laughs> center for scholars Center for International Studies at Princeton. So this is a mainstream book. That's my point. This is not conspiracy theory literature. Right. And yet you will find numerous, numerous sections of this book talking about the Bavarian Illuminati and a whole bunch of other things that people think are conspiracy. So... <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, yeah. if, it's, if it's a secret and, and they're conspiring, then it is conspiracy. But it's just not a conspiracy theory. It's just conspiracy fact. I well, it's add. just history. It's yeah, history right. in... And Machiavelli wrote a lot about the use of conspiracy in history. So mm -hmm. the ideas that we are brought up with, like there's no useful conspiracies ever in history. No, the only useful events in history are usually conspiracies. They're revolutions and, and, and regime changes and all yeah. these other types the of The American uprising. Revolution was a was pretty a conspiracy one. against the yeah. British Empire yeah. because America was part of the British colonies for 200 or 150 years at that point, solidly. So it was a real change in culture. So for people today to think that there's no such thing, it means to me you haven't read the good history books that are still available. Like this is not a censored book. This is this is a, a publicly available, very useful book. I mean, um, and then of course there's other books that are just as big and thick like uh, Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope and learning about there is a group of, it's a finite planet. There's a small group of people that would like to take over the world. They have unlimited, unimaginable resources at their beck and call organizational and management capabilities to be the top influencers on every continent. And they've had a plan for over 110 years, if you're just going back to the Federal Reserve. But if you go back to Rhodes' Will and Testament in 1902, 120 years, they've had an in-writing plan to take over the world by bringing America back into the British Empire and having a merger of those systems where during the 1800s, there was a, a bifurcation of those systems. And while there was a bifurcation, the British kept going and subjugating part of the continent, part of the planet to opium addiction. And then when it came back and intersected with our culture in the 1900s, a lot of that got set on the, the, the shoulders of CIA and other, other groups, right? Mm -hmm. So all these overthrows around the world, they're not just for American interests, they're for Anglo-American interests. Hmm. And there's a bigger story that was going on way before COVID. So it's good that, you know, you caught one of the interviews that I did and you said, I'm incredulous. I'm going to dig into some of this. Right. And then you keep finding more and more and more. And if there was nothing to it, you wouldn't be finding more facts about it. You wouldn't be oh, no, stacking up it. mountains of documents saying, look, this is not what the public's being told. This contradicts the public narrative. This is something that's media worthy to produce and put out there. Oh, big time. I mean, I, I've barely scratched the surface and I, I already feel as if I understand esg better than you know 99 of commentators out there it, it's and and yet i haven't gone nearly deep enough you know like it, it's it's just so there's so much to to digest to really feel as if you're an expert on any of this stuff and if you go into the historical uh backdrop then it, it obviously it makes that that story much 
more uh, deep, much harder to grasp. So I wanted to ask you, why, why is it that if, say these families are the wealthiest families, the most powerful, and they, they have these hundred plus year plan that they've been implementing, I don't understand how they think that they can prevail with the ESG racket. Because if, like, we've already seen uh, Sri Lanka, you, you have revolts there. I, I know it's a more complicated story than that, but um, it looks as if the Netherlands, Canada, you know, potentially the U.S., there's many Latin American countries because of the inflation and the, uh, you know, the food shortages where you're starting to see revolutionary type populist rebellions. That seems counter to their goals. Am I missing something here? Like, it seems to me that these banking families would be much more intelligent when it came to economics and they wouldn't do something that catastrophically seems to be a mistake to me. All right. So let's go to the top of the mountain where the water starts trickling down, right? There's Please. Uh, there's a, a group of families, let's call it a cartel of families that have control of printing presses in almost all the countries of the world where they can print money and charge people of those countries the debt. And then they are the debtors, right? Or the debtees. We owe, we are, we owe them the money that right. they spent on our behalf that they printed without our authorization, right? Because the Federal Reserve Act. So why do they print money in the first place? They don't need it. They print it because that makes, it's a magnet for other people to go work for it. And then they insert it into the system where they wanna attract people, right? So when they give a, a stimulus, they give it top down to their favorite companies and let them spend the money out because then it's gonna be spent in a favorable way to the market, right? So at some point in their plan, they decided, hey, we're gonna have robots. We're gonna depopulate the planet. We're gonna do this green agenda, all these things that they've written down over the years. They're not going to need so many people to keep working for money. They're not going to need all these things that they've built up. These are counter to their future ideas, right? Now, if you want a good snapshot of what their future looks like, H.G. Uh, Wells, a Fabian socialist and part of the you know early 20th century planning group on this, he wrote a book called The Shape of Things to Come, which in 1938 was made into a film called Things to Come. In that film, which you can more readily find and consume than the book, in the film, the first part of the movie, there's a, a world war and it's catastrophic. It takes away everyone's technology. So they're back to gangs with sticks and rocks and it's very tribal. And you think that's the future because the whole world has been made like that until wings over the world flies in with their super technology. And now there's a big technology gap, a power gap, a knowledge gap between the people who are ruling in a very Elysium-like style over the people they choose to keep around that they didn't destroy. So they'll do menial labor and mining for whatever, you know, uh, mineral extraction that they want to do, these sort of things. So they have shown us through their dystopian sci-fi movies, like when they have a computer controlling the planet in Logan's Run and saying, hey, we don't have the resources. Everyone has to die at 27, but we'll call it Carousel and make it into a fun game. There's still an elite population that would be above that. They show that in Brave New World or Out of Sucks. Like, there's always a group of people to whom the rules do not apply. So... The wealthy people of this planet, the movers and shakers, they are, they're fans of libertarian economics. They brought von Mises. Rockefeller Foundation brought von Mises to America. They love that stuff. They don't want you to have it. They don't mm -hmm. think Clint Russell and Richard Grove need to be knowing anything about that, that type of economics, right? That makes sense. They want everyone to be in the confusion system. Because if you had an economic idea that made sense, you might be able to gain traction. You might be able to compete against that status quo. You might be able to make their system obsolete. But if you're just confused and you get your, you know, your investment knowledge from MSNBC or Fox News or whoever, you're just going to be, you know, left out there. So they take these ideas that work. They use them for themselves. 
we also have to take the ideas that work and use them for ourselves. Right. Sure. So this idea of money, they have a well, I was born into a world where they had a monopoly on it and they had detached it from gold already. But there's other types of money. There's other types of transactional ability. Some of those are well known. Some of those are still like scarcely known. But the the idea is once you see they have a monopoly on this thing, well, what don't they have a monopoly on? Right. right. What, where do taxes come into it when you use their product, Federal Reserve notes to do transactions? Yeah. Well, what if we you use gold? Got to exit that. What yeah. if we use cryptocurrency? What if we just do straight up agorism? That's not in that game over there. Okay. So then you start to understand the nature of money. Like there's a good book called The Lost Science of Money. It's 624 pages of case studies of how money, how and what has been used as money over the history of civilization. And then you can see where we're at. You can see what real money was in the past and this, this monopoly money they have us passing out. They printed like 40% of all dollars ever printed in the last two years or something like that. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. So it is, it is absolutely madness. Um, so the, I guess the, the real question I have then is what is their contingency plan? Say that, that there is some sort of populist awakening because they don't have the total panopticon totalitarian state mechanism, surveillance mechanisms necessary to really squash us yet. I mean, certainly they have squashed many of us and many people are deplatformed and things like that, but we're still able to get these messages out to some extent at this point. And if you were to get enough of a populist momentum, it seems to me that you could have, you know, revolutions which really endanger these people potentially. And so do you have any idea as to what their mechanism is for implementing this mass die-off, you know, preventing us from actually identifying the people that are, are bringing this pain to us? Yeah, I mean, I'll go to their books and we can read it in their own words in a minute. But the, the general idea is it, they're very committed to the agenda. But in the past, when their agendas aren't moving forward, they kind of just leave it, back burner it, let it cool off. They bring it out with a rebranding, maybe attach a celebrity or two to it this time, these sort of things. Because what is now ESG, I showed the audience on Grand Theft World podcast the other night. Uh, we were going deep diving on these uh, books from Club of Rome. They have another name for it. 20 years ago, right? It's the same kind of thing. They just kind of improved the messaging to the point where they, with the pandemic, using that opportunity, never let a, an, a crisis go on, you know, unopportunized. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> That's their theory. And um, it, it's- what, what was the issue called 20 years ago? Well, let's see. Uh, first, let's go to the book cam. All right, so Limits the Growth was the report for the Club of Rome's project on the predicament right. of mankind, okay? Now, the predicament of mankind- I had it the other night. It's under this big stack over here. It's a 20-page printout in, from 1970. So after this 20-page printout in 1970, they wrote the book. And then the first global revolution came along in the 90s. And then they did Limits the Growth, a 30-year update in 2004. So I think it was in the back of this one. Let's look. Changes. This is the world. They have a computer model that they've used since the 1970s to make these predictions. Oh, and well. this is where they're explaining that. But there was a part that I had shown the other night. It's either in the back of this one or back of this one, probably. Let's see. The role of mass media. No, no, that's not it. You're seeing me scramble on the fly. Usually I get these to get, well, since we're here. The Club of Rome, this is a, the 1992 update, the first global revolution. So if you think of green agenda, global warming, all these things, this is before Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. Right. which had like no factual, actual <laughs> basis to it. But this is the Club of Rome. And in here, 
at the end of this chapter on page 115, the common enemy of humanity is man. Let's just cut to the chase. What are they looking for? In searching for a new enemy to unite us. Now, let me ask this question. Why are they looking for a new enemy to unite us? Right. Let me stop there. We <laughs> came up with the idea that pollution, the threat of global warming, water shortages, famine, and the like, just throw it all in there, would fit the bill. In their totality and in their interactions, these phenomena do constitute a common threat, which demands the solidarity of all peoples. But in designating them as the enemy, we fall into the trap about which we've already warned in this book, namely mistaking the symptoms for the causes. All these dangers are caused by human intervention, and it is only through changed attitudes and behavior that they can be overcome. The real enemy, then, is humanity itself. That's contradictory on its face. I know. It's the like... dangers are human intervention, so stop fucking with it, is what I would say. <laughs> right. But they're, they're saying, no, we have to change a mindset. Well, how are you going to change a mindset? With intervention. Oh, Jesus, Lord. They're like, the world's going to end, so let's, uh, you know, uh, the world's going to crash. That's their prediction. So let's take away people's ability to eat meat right away. Let's let's push this ESG agenda right away. Let's make it impossible for anyone to be self-reliant or live outside of that bullshit system that they're creating, the social credit score, right? They don't right. want you to be able to have some chickens or cows or goats or whatever, or be anywhere like food self-reliant. They don't want that. So they're doing this stuff. They're making it impossible for you to survive and thrive. They're also yeah. throwing in, hey, let's uh, do a food shortage. Hey, let's make all-time gas and petrol prices and let's mess with the infrastructure, right? So they're... In my opinion, they're doing a controlled demolition of the modern infrastructure that keeps 7 billion people alive. And they would like to have a few less people here on the planet. They say it openly. You know, they talk about it for 20, 30 years recently, but they've been doing it for over 100 years. And they just rebranded eugenics with uh, molecular biology. And Rockefeller <laughs> Foundation kept on, you know, using colleges in America to make all this stuff and now we're doing story Sunday night that mRNA does edit your DNA. Huh. Who, right. who, who would have thunk it? You know? Well, this is a perfect lead-in because uh, I, I knew this episode was going to be too hot for YouTube. So we, we will be on Locals too exclusively hot. with this video version. But uh, I would like to know what is the is – because the, here, here's what's always confused me. If the vaccina vaccinations are deadly, uh, ultimately for you know, some percentage of the people – why would they want the people that go along with their programming to, to suffer? It seems to me that they would want the people like myself and probably you that refused and ignored their propaganda for the past two years to be the ones that die off. Uh, they do want that, but we, okay. are we are not taking them up on their offers voluntarily, and they are taking care of the people who are taking up on the offers voluntarily. You see, the uh, former vice president, he had four jabs. He still got the thing. Fauci had four jabs. He still got the thing twice. Okay. Right. I haven't had the thing yet. I have a thing <laughs> called an immune system. I get sunlight, fresh air, vitamin D, vitamin C, healthy food, these sort of things. Those people who consider themselves my betters might take a note, might take a note. You know, I wash my hands after I meet new people and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. If I just go touching dirty things, I wash my hands before I eat. I know, call me crazy, but that's been a thing for about a hundred and some years that people do wash their hands, you know? Yeah. Well, I survived about two years without getting it. And then I did get it and I was three days down and then right back at it. So it, it's certainly not anything. Well, to, good. To Cause run. I would hate to like die from COVID or something now. Cause oh, me be too. Just, you know, uh, it irony would, killer. 
it would be it'd be too much. I've spent two years dedicating myself to telling people to, you don't need to do this, and then I'm just dropped dead. Um, so obviously there there is some factor with the vaccine that seems to be part of the depopulation agenda. So I won't they, call it deadly because you said deadly. So I would just say right there. First off, I don't know that it's healthy, for sure. Well, yeah, I don't. Think I, it's healthy. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily deadly for I know it's experimental. I know people have not been given informed consent. I know that mRNA was developed by DARPA and then licensed to Moderna in 2013. And then if you look up 2013 Moderna SEC filings and more recent and you search gene therapy, you'll find 24 to 30 references. Sometimes it's gene therapies. Okay, because it's Hmm. it's plural. So you have to be savvy and use control F twice to actually see. Oh, this is a company that makes gene therapies. And then all of a sudden when COVID happened and they happened to like Stefan Bonsell of Moderna years before COVID helped to build the Wuhan lab because he was part of bio milieu. I just covered that on my last episode. I'm so glad you included that blew my mind when I found that out. Okay. So you, you pronounce it differently. We were talking about that like six months ago because I was incredulous because it came up that story and then it came up that they were involved in ukraine and i was like no way are they involved in ukraine like we already verified they're in wuhan there's nothing going on in ukraine that's a bunk oh they're in ukraine too hunter biden oh jesus christ man like they they make it so like the more incredulous you get if you take the next step and look it up you better be prepared to get slapped upside the face with some reality my buddy benny wills at the beginning of the pandemic this is how i came into it because i saw what was going on in china in january i was like that's weird right my buddy Benny, he does a meme show on Monday nights now. But back then, he was just doing like these uh, readings, right? He would read something from Gaddafi or Sirhan, Sirhan, give you this alternate perspective to the narrative, right? And in this one talk, he said, this pandemic that's coming out of China, uh, you know, Bill Gates and uh, World Economic Forum and Johns Hopkins ran an exercise in August or in, in October 2019 called Event 201. And I, and I was like, I was about to write to Benny dude, you can't say this. This is, you can't go blaming Bill Gates for this. Like, this is crazy. And then my, my voice is like, maybe you should look it up before you write to Benny. And then I was like, event 201. Holy shit. There's a, they have their own YouTube page. The center (laughs) for health security has five hours of event 201. Maybe I should be incredulous and do that search more often because I seem to have been missing that. And it's my job to know about these things. Right. But that was like January 23rd. Most of America had had no idea what was going on yet, right? But already you can see an exercise that looks exactly what they were doing. And they found in that exercise back in October 2019, they're going to be short on PPE and ventilator, blah, 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 blah. Did they prepare? Like the exercise tells you what you need for the event, right? Hey, we didn't, right. if you did an exercise for a fire drill at your house, hey, we need another fire extinguisher over here. You know, we're going to get some things in cases. These people did nothing to prepare. But what right. they did was they went out and got all the corporations in the World Economic Forum and they said, hey, lockstep remember that 2010 thing we're doing that now you guys are all going to shut down you're not going to say a fucking word dude you guys aren't going to say a peep casinos mafia you guys are shutting down too garbage collection you're shutting down to everybody shutting down at 208 countries at once shutting down yeah that was not accidental dude that no. they wrote a document on how to do that that they had an exercise on how to do that and that when you trace it back to its real origins it was probably out. That was probably a launch exercise. When you look at the timing, they had already had the the problem in Wuhan at the lab in September 2019 and ordered like $800 million worth of new air handling and anti- yeah, yeah. Right. So the ventilation system purchase, right? 
So that leads me to think, why would you spend so much unless you just had to scuttle that whole air handling system that you had? Right. And then the timing does. The first report was a guy in Hawaii, a Japanese guy in Hawaii from September 2019. So there's there's more to the narrative, any narrative they're, they're giving you on mainstream media. And that's the oh. first lesson. And then the second lesson is how not to get rabbit holed and actually come up with, oh, Club of Rome's got all these documents. Maybe we should look at these people. Right. Yeah, so I'm not sure saying they're in Illuminati. They existed. I'm not saying they're doing this, though, right? Those are right. two separate events in history. Sure. You have to have some sort of connection. Well, these people wrote about what they're doing now. That's the connection. It's not a like, I'm not like saying, do these things connect together? They're telling me they have a predicament of mankind. They're going to solve it with a world forum. They, by the 90s, are like, humanity is the problem. We're going to convince people through conspicuous consumption and making things that, you know, uh, artificial obsolescence ideas of Thorsten Veblen and other people of the early 1900s coming to Harvard MBAs telling American companies, outsource all your production to China, make everything as cheap as possible. People will buy more of your stuff because it'll break. Well, meanwhile, they're filling up the landfills. They're poisoning the oceans with those policies, not the actions of individuals, but we get blamed for it. We have to be the solution. Oh, you got to recycle. You got to recycle because these people making stuff out of garbage that ends up in the you know nature Right. Uh, they know what they're doing. They can make all the plastic out of hemp, but they prohibited hemp. So we have to use poisonous materials to fit in with their agenda. If we want to fix things, unprohibit hemp, make your plastics out of hemp. It's biodegradable. Make your fuel out of hemp. Make your medicine out of hemp. Make your protein out of hemp. I'd rather eat hemp seed than crickets. Sure. Can we get a vote <laughs> here? Can we get a fucking vote here, dude? Well, and then and then because of the pollution and toxins and things like that, they turn around and say, "Hey, you need to stop running your air conditioner." Well, they hop on a fucking G six to Davos to talk about how we need to, you know, use less uh, electricity or whatever. It's it's right, really forty five corporate and private jets over there discussing on how we need to have uh, community cooling centers is what Biden said last week. Right. Al Gore's got a 10,000 square foot house. You don't think that whole thing's air conditioned? Okay. <laughs> so here's the rule. <clears throat> this is this is very simple to resolve this. We all just have to stand, draw a line and say, here's the rule. If you're going to tell me I can't eat meat, you're going to have to live a lifestyle that reflects that. Hell Unfortunately, yeah. your house, your clothes, your car is all built on this system you hate. So you're not going to be able to use it anymore. The electricity <laughs> comes from a fucking coal plant, not going to be able to use it anymore. Now go to the woods, make a shelter, keep yourself alive, and then come back to me with your philosophy, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if you follow a non-contradictory philosophy, it's like, we can't be supporting those systems, right? He has steak in his house, but he's telling you you can't have steak. Right. That's hypocrisy. You can't support that. So if you got uh, some long-haired, dreadlocked person that just came out of the woods, and they're like, here's how it goes. Fine. If you convince me that's a better way, I'll follow you. But don't be sitting on high using all these methods of propaganda with your private jet and your 10,000 square foot, whatever, and all this stuff. And tell me that I'm the problem because you said it in your book right here. First Global Revolution, right? <laughs> what, what was the first book I showed you? How they use revolutions to change and shape history, yep. right? The first Global Revolution is called the Great Reset. It's all about mm. the same group of people. Mm. Interesting. And Klaus put this book out in June, dude. Like he's... Wow, he's Johnny on the spot with the ideas. Or was this a pre-existing plan that they're like, get that shipped right now? Well, this this begs the question, and you don't have to answer it if That's you don't know fallacy. the answer. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, it does, though. I have to ask, uh, was 
I mean, I, I think it's crystal clear, clear that COVID-19 was man-made. Was it actually unleashed on the world intentionally? And if so, was it by these, these people that we're talking about? Man, you want to go asking those questions, right? I do. I got the documents, I want to know. Bro. You want to see some documents? Show me the fucking documents, Alex. All right. Uh, Alex is in court today, so I'll do it. <laughs> All right, perfect. Do it for him. All right. This is Project Veritas. This is uh, uh, a release from Major General Joseph Murphy, uh, who worked for DARPA. And he wrote this very concerned letter about what was going on. And I read this letter from Project Veritas. And I said, hmm, I don't know about all this. But as you can see, I read all the way to the end. And I got, uh, I got. I, re I read that too on my show. And I, I concluded, I can't tell. But they, basically the, the thesis was, is that they were trying to create an airborne vaccine. Correct? That was his accusation. Right. And I said, I don't know this guy. I don't believe him. So then I went and got this 76-page proposal to DARPA made oh, by EcoHealth. So DARPA has uh, a project called, um, uh, is it Diffuse? Let's see. Preempt. DARPA's project is called Preempt. Put your specs on, Rich. You're getting old. <laughs> All right. So check it. Proposal Volume 1. This is just Volume 1, but this is where the dirt is. DARPA Preempt. Here's the, uh, the number for it. Lead organization, EcoHealth Alliance, other team members, University of North Carolina, because you got to have Ralph Barrick, Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh, that's interesting because I didn't think they had anything to fucking do with this, right? Right. And if you go closer to it, who's in charge? Principal investigator, Peter Daszak. I've heard of him before, <laughs> right? EcoHealth Alliance. Going on? Wuhan, China. Wuhan, mm. right? 327, 2018. Oh, this is right before the thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. And what did they want to do? right before the thing. Well, you get into page one, you got this letter here and okay. You get an executive summary. Okay, that's interesting because you got some origins. You got Ralph Barrick here for the no CM technique. You got uh, uh, Dr. Shi Zheng Li, uh, the bat lady, right? Yep. She works in the bat cave with EcoHealth's uh, Dazak. This is, this is an interesting document because they go through, here's how, what they thought was going on. And now they're talking about aerosol and nanoparticles thought that was like conspiracy theory dude no they're going to target immune systems high risk sars coves in a novel delivery and automated application methods for bats now if you read this whole document and you think they're just fucking with bats replace bats with people and read it again because then you have the pandemic our strategy becomes uh begins with a complete inventory of bats in their sars coves at our intervention test site cave complex in Yunnan, china far away from the wet market i might add right? Mm -hmm. USAID, that's a CIA funded project. Okay. So they're bringing in Barrick. You have a smoking gun where they add the ACE2 receptor uh, inoculated into humanized mice. Why did they have to humanize mice? Because they want to figure out how to get these SARS-CoV spike proteins that will not attach to humans to attach to humans. That's gain of function. That's page three. Cr bro. Crystal clear. Yeah. All right. They got mRNA gene therapy for targeted immune boosting. Remember, they're going to aerosolize this they got some luciferase in there to test it for the presence of antibodies. They got more gain of function in nanoparticles down here. You got more nanoparticles, more aerosolized vaccines, aerosolization via prototype sprayers, right? DOD, CDC, more <laughs> viral shedding with mRNA. To, 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 it's supposed to induce. So they're looking at uh, proven technology to reduce. But what if they induce viral shedding? because right. it's also something that they talk about in these. There's another smoking gun with more ACE2 receptors 
including uh, human lung airway cells, right? Because they want to get these chimeras, these recombinants, the genes inserted to a new SARS-CoV backbone, synthetically reconstructed full length. Uh, and these are mice expressing human ACE2 that they're going to test on, right? Now, wait till I get to the part with the vampire bats. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can we just take a brief second to highlight that the, they named it Luciferase? Lucifer, Jesus Christ. Right? I mean... They got a synthesis of a novel chimeric SARS-CoV. We will commercially synthesize SARS-CoV uh, glycoprotein genes designed for insertion for molecular clone backbones with the S-protein identity epidemic uh, to SARS-Urbani, right? Uh, they go through, these are not gain of function, by the way. This is how they word around it. So it's not, it's not gain of function when they say it's not gain of function. <laughs> they have a chimeric virus that attaches to human ACE2 receptor. That's the goal of the project. That's what the pandemic was. Sure sounds exactly like COVID. Origins of the cleavage sites that people talk right. about. Here's another yep. smoking gun. But that's not the part we're looking for. I'm just trying to get to that part of that doc of this document. Let's see. Because they talk, uh, <clears throat> they're messing with Ebola. You know, Marburg virus is Ebola. Yep. And uh, didn't we didn't we recently have a, an outbreak of that somewhere? <laughs> Well, when you get to the batified mice models, then you can start getting closer to their monkeypox testing. We can talk about that next. Uh, novel shit. nanoparticle delivery systems. What developed na novel nanoparticle delivery systems in dry powders for aerosol release? That's how they could spread it because it's hard to get bats to get shots, right? <laughs> but what if imagine, an aerosolized yeah. bat vaccine got out? What would it look like in humans? You got the part here. It talks about the chimeric immunogens. Anyway, we're still looking for, I think the part we're looking for is probably at the end. Oh, here's their pox studies. Raccoon pox virus vaccine, uh, raccoon pox vector rabies. They use this part of this study. This is, this is the end notes for the project Diffuse, right? Mm -hmm. So that when they have to show their work of how they can do all this, they're like, we have all these studies where we can, you know, basically work it out for you. So now, now the official story is DARPA. Here's more pox, pox virus vectored immune boosting, aerosol delivery with nanoparticles. This is not my making. I'm not this creative, bro. This is, <laughs> right. this is them and their document. I just read the document, right? So DARPA officially says that uh, they turned down this, this application, this proposal, because DARPA was looking for a thing and EcoHealth came and said, we can give you the thing you're looking for. And then DARPA said, well, we would like to take it, but we can't leave a public record because that would be really bad, especially if we're working with China. And then... They continue getting money from DARPA and NIH and NIAID while they're working in China. And to this day, this group that proposed this still has comp open contracts through 2024, 2025, doing these things under different names. For That's EcoHealth? NIH. Yeah, EcoHealth. Yep. And Dazak is not in prison for life. No, uh, which tells you, you can never exactly. arrest the James Bond character who is untouchable through the right. whole story. He's the guy who they sent several times to investigate these things. I know they he invested. He investigated the fucking lab where he's it came the prime from. suspect. Yeah, yeah. The guy, the guy who's almost certainly hands are dirty as hell, and he's the investigator. You got. I mean, it's it's just astonishing. But it's it, all right. So first off, where did that document come from? Because I have not seen that one. Ah, well. That's the source material for the Veritas. Now, Veritas has one, but they uh, watermarked it. It makes it harder to read. So where I got that specific document is uh, the Intercept 
Okay. I think it's Ryan's group out of Washington had done a study and posted a bunch of the the um, key documents, the the source documents for that. And then I started scrubbing through those probably like, what, a year ago. We covered them on the podcast. Wow. You guys so, are very early. Good like job. last August. So, yeah, almost a year ago. Um, and with those, it was called, it's the drastic DARPA leaks. I have it on a uh, Dropbox for you, dude. I can give you a Dropbox okay. link to all of those documents. Awesome. And actually, no, I got it. Now that I think of it, I have it for your audience. Can I give a URL? You can get it for yeah. free. Yeah, do it. Get autonomy.info forward slash freedom vault. Freedom vault okay. is all one word. It's not hyphenated. And at Perfect. the bottom of that list, I'm pretty sure the drastic DARPA document downloads. There's like five PDFs. Man, so you get them. Everybody well, get them, read them. I didn't get all the stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a good reader, right. but I don't, I don't get everything out of it. So other people reading the same documents, we find more stuff is my point. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. We crowdsource this thing. I mean, there's so much there's, I mean, just if you wanted to go through the fucking Pfizer data dumps, you'd need a team to. Yeah. I started to doing 60, that too. Pages. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's brutal and I've, I've been doing this stuff, you know, solo. So it's very hard to keep up. Um, so good God. I mean, all right. First off, why? has that document not been brought by, you know, Rand Paul has been kind of like our, at least from my vantage point, our guy in terms of holding Fauci's feet to the fire, but mm. it's still, it's still pretty mild compared to some of this evidence that could be presented and say, Hey, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Why is that not happening? Do you know? I'm going to go back to the mountain metaphor. Uh, okay. People like myself and my colleagues and yourself, we look at the documents from like the original sources, like there's a release right. and we go into the dump and we talk about it and to our small audiences, right? So now there's a couple thousand people instead of hundreds of thousands of people. But then like six months later, it trickles down to Russell Brand tells 5 million people or right, two right, years right, later, right. it trickles out to Fox or yeah, MSNBC or CNN, sure. right? So it's like when you, when you are at like the Whitney Webb altitude, you can't expect to listen to her and then have that repeated anytime soon at a right. lot of places with big audiences, it'll trickle down eventually when people will say it's safe to say this now, right? right. But if you right, want right, to go right. straight to the source and look at the WikiLeaks releases, all those things as they're happening, it's just like the Pfizer releases and the document dumps today, right? So I don't spend as much time as I used to spend on such things, but when those things happen, I get I get a little interested and I go control F, where's, where's this word found right. in these documents? Right. Where's this word found, right? Or, I mean, I did that a couple months ago on PubMed, aerosolized, if you type in mRNA plus aerosol, you'll find a lot of studies. Aerosolization, a lot more studies. And then if you start using the terms that they're using in there, right? If you search mRNA nanoparticles, ferromagnetic nanoparticles, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. I'm not claiming the shots are magnet and I'm not doing that. I'm just saying if you search these words, you will find these studies with their, where they're doing these things. And that is the source of knowledge that we can share as wisdom between each other. My opinions on those documents, not worth a whole lot. I want you to know that document exists. Go check it out for yourself. Get that knowledge, that direct connection to your brain with it. And then tell the others, bro. Because yep, yep. I've been doing well, this a long time. And that's always been the issue. It's not that if you approach one person one-on-one -on -one and you give them the evidence and you, oh, that allows, they allow themselves to change their mind with the new evidence. But when you do it to people in groups, yeah, no, they that's fight it. Change. It's group. Uh, group think can be useful in a mastermind context, but not in the crowd. I'm assuming context. Right, right, right. And and so we have to basically, uh, I don't know, plow the field or seed seed the earth, and then eventually it, it grows up to a high enough level that 
you know, Rand Paul or, or Tucker Carlson or someone else picks it up and runs with it. It's just, it's so frustrating because, uh, and you know, I'm pretty new to this. I've only been podcasting for two years and, and, uh, I've now noticed that many of the things that I discussed early on about a year ago, they started to become public, you know, discourse. You'd see it on Fox news and things like that. And now it's very similar. I mean, stuff I was talking about a year ago is now being discussed today. And then the stuff I'm talking about today, I don't see anywhere else. So it's just driving me fucking crazy. I'm like, can we just expedite this process a little bit? Like when I, when I figure something out and it's catastrophic news and it like, you have this guy who is still presiding in some fashion over pandemic control and things like that. And Fauci or Burks who came out this week and fucking annihilated herself by saying that she knew that the vaccines would never stop transmission. It's like, these people need to be held to account. And I just, I, that's really like what I'm all about right now is like, and I don't think that they necessarily will. And I know that's probably a stupid goal, but I really believe like if we don't want to see um, this repeated, it's, it's kind of like you, you have to see these people punished it. Am I totally delusional to think that there's any chance that they might be? Them choosing to avoid punishment is setting them up for worse. If they put, let's have a hearing with Fauci because that'd be a gentle handling when they're in control and they're running. They, they have an opportunity to do these things. <clears throat> at least give us the semblance of truth and justice at, right. at that level. But what they're making people do is when things get bad enough, there'll be nothing between those people and the people who they don't like anymore. And that, I don't right. want to see that. I yeah. don't want to see disruption of civilization. I don't want to see civil war. But when one side completely censors and... and gives the other side nothing to lose and i'm not part of either of those sides i'm just trying to you know no no you're my analyzing yeah uh it gets it, historically and it's a pattern i don't want to see repeat it's not a good one and um yeah, for either. you being new to podcasting man you're doing really well i started well, back you. in 2006 nobody knew what it was they didn't yeah, sell equipment for it there was no tutorials there was like my first my first podcast came out of a mini disc recorder with a little microphone that was on a wire that I used to have at concerts to bootleg them and stuff when I, you know, wanted to have a concert recording back Incredible. in the early 2000s. So, yeah, man, you stepped into a place where it's like there's tutorials, there's good equipment, there's oh, yeah. people that can quickly find your work and start to appreciate the value of your commentary and observations and your guests, right? right. I really like that one last week you did with uh, Judge Napolitano, but I found it interesting that I listened to like every minute of the podcast up until then. Cause when I found it was going to be at the end, I figured I'd end up scrubbing through to get to that. Yeah. And I was like, let me, let me see what, you know, what he's doing today. And you held my attention really well. And I was like, that's oh, good. good. Cause good, good, uh, good. my hope is that I've always produced, I've always produced long form content. Cause I know the people that can understand and cognize what's going on. They're the ones with long attentions. And if I just give them the right information, they can suck it in and come to better actions. Right. The people with fragmented attention spans, they're not going to get it anytime soon, man. Right. Because <laughs> the, the data set's too big. You know, yeah. I got, you know, it's a 10 gig download and you're working with a 25 megabyte drive. Ain't going to happen the, anytime those soon. Those are the people that will only get it when Tucker Carlson does it with right. his 20 minute opening segment. Then they'll be like, okay, I understand. They'll need this to now. see the super cut of that even. Right? Exactly. But exactly. if I can make a podcast, uh, you know, uh, not in my first series. Well, my first series probably had 10 or 11 hour podcasts, right? 9-11 synchronicity podcast had a couple of long ones in there. Uh, my second podcast, Peace Revolution, I had a 20 hour episode in there on the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And I guarantee you, if you because people were skeptical, why would I want to listen for 20 hours? I'm like, go ahead and press play. Right. See how long you make it because <laughs> you're not supposed to listen to the whole thing. 
you're supposed to listen to the intro of each episode. And then I do a monologue to explain that intro. And if you want the source material for that intro, the rest of the episode is 18 hours of source material. Yeah, you can that's hear brilliant. it without being cut, right? But to get the gist of, here's this angle of history. The United Nations is not what you think it is. It was created by these rich people who created these proxy groups and claimed international status. And mm -hmm. inside of that United Nations, we have one vote. The United Kingdom has like 28 votes or 40 votes. They have a whole commonwealth of votes of people who still have the queen on their money. That's control over human beings. And that's what it comes down to for those big groups. So giving people the information they need in bite-sized pieces, it's going to take too long, dude. We got, we got to have a bigger pump to get the information through. So elongating attention span, just by providing people with something more valuable, then they easily have the option to find elsewhere. I love and it. Yeah. The duration, even like on my YouTube, uh, duration is usually over twenty-five minutes, average for lifetime right. of the channel. It's been as high as forty minutes back in the day before they fucked with my algorithm. But yeah. Still now, if yeah. people watch 25 minutes at a time, that's a good chunk of attention. Yeah, no, that's not bad knowledge. at all. I think I, I think I get about 20. So it's it's tough to get people to stick around. But I mean, you have a, a ton of people that just click and then exit right away. So that skews the number down. Anyways, um, so I wasn't intending to ask you about monkeypox, but you said that we would cover that next. So if oh, you yeah, have dude. any information, I haven't looked into it at all because I, I think Ooh, of it as that. such a nothing, nothing I burger. I just did but... that on accident. You see, that's like a... <laughs> Woo. All right, here's what I'm trying to show you. So there were some claims. Let me explain it like this. There were some claims, and uh, the claim was that the Wuhan lab, which we just talked about, EcoHealth Alliance, Wuhan lab, they were also experimenting with monkeypox. And again, I was incredulous. I said, no, they weren't. Who's <laughs> telling us this, right? So live on the show, I did a search in Brave. I took the first result, which is some fly-by-night site, but that's not my point. They're copying an article that's posted everywhere. Breakthrough, Wuhan lab, monkeypox, right? Just type in Wuhan lab, monkeypox, breakthrough, or something like that. And you'll find this like same story copied. So the point is there was a report published someplace. It gets copied on all these sites. So when you read that article, you have to find, let me just take you to it. Let me, I think I got it all still here. Uh, let's see. Now these are the later tabs. So the claim is that this, magazine called Verologica Sinica, okay, had okay. Uh, published an article saying that there was, they did a monkey pox research at Wuhan lab. So when I got to that part of the article, I clicked these tabs open. I clicked open. Oh, here's the bombshell right here. This is the original story. Bombshell, Wuhan bio lab carried out gain of function research on monkey pox virus. I read that and I said, no, it didn't. So I scrolled down. I'm trying to disprove this. I don't believe you. Right? right. What is this journal and a peer reviewed journal, Virologica Sinica? I've never heard of that. Right. So I click that open. So I scroll down some more. Oh, here's some quotes. Okay. But I want to see the source material. They have it here on Scribd. I don't believe you. So I'm not going to go. I'm going to go look up Virologica Sinica. Right. So I'm going to go find their site. And I'm going to, you know, here's the contents of uh, volume 37, issue three, because I don't trust your article. And then I'm going to go here about the journal. Virologica Seneca is the international journal which aims at presenting cutting-edge research in the world. The journal publishes peer-reviewed research articles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Did you know that this is the official journal of the Wuhan lab? Whoa. Well, that's interesting. This is their official journal. So when you go here and you read 
efficient assembly of large fragment of monkeypox virus genome as a qPCR template using dual selection tra based transforma transformation associated recombination, I took it a little bit more seriously. I was like, oh, when is this published? Oh, 2022. Okay, a couple months ago. And they have this method called TAR, and they uh, the transformation-associated recombination, TAR, has been widely used to assemble large DNA constructs. Okay. And then if you, like, search, let's control, find, where's the monkey come into it? Monkey. Oh, monkeypox virus. That's interesting. Okay. Monkeypox transformation, TAR assembly. Oh, that's what it is. They're messing with monkeypox in the DNA assembly. These are okay. So I then they go monkeypox viruses, MPXVs. So if you really want to know about this topic, I would search MPXVs or MPX because this right. is the abbreviation they use in their literature, right? And then you go, you know, scrolling through, and you can see other places in this document. Let's go down here. More monkeypox references. Where did they get the idea? Well, human monkeypox: current state of knowledge and implications for the future. Might want to read that. And I can go down here and, well, I dragged the box there. Here's another one. Real-time PCR assays for the specific detection of monkeypox virus, West African and Congo uh, Basin strain DNA. Now that's, Jesus. let's see, 2010. They've been doing this for a while is what yeah. that tells me, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, there's. So is is there a. Uh... Well, I forget is Operation Two Hundred One, whatever the Two Hundred One uh, is. There, oh any... yeah, uh, Event Three Hundred Event Two Hundred One, Event Two Hundred One. Right? Thank you. Yeah. yeah, is there any sort of plan for the utilization of monkeypox that we're aware of, or is this kind of just like a, a work in progress in uncovering what the intention is? Have they been doing monkeypox uh, war games exercises? Yeah. Is that the question? Yes. I do not know, but that's an interesting question to pursue. If you're a journalist or someone who yes, likes to exactly. make media and you're looking for something to do, that's a good line of pursuit right there. Yes, so, it is. Oh, my God. So they're involved for sure. Crystal clear. Now, if someone, for instance, you find that uh, I connected the facts the wrong way or Virologica Seneca is not publishing uh, the research of the Wuhan lab, let me know. Right. I'm, I don't know everything. I make mistakes. I also need to wear glasses sometimes when I'm reading and I'm not wearing them. So <laughs> I could use the help and I'm not trying to be malicious by getting anything wrong at any time. And I'll readily correct myself. A couple weeks ago, I ran a story because uh, there was a video going around. It seemed to show it. And it looked like President Biden put the Congressional Medal of Honor on the guy backwards when in fact he did not. And then the next week I corrected it. I said, last week I said this thing, I don't want you telling your friends that thing is a fact because it's not. And here's how, yep. you know, when when they converted the video, those pixels were lost or someone messed with it, you know, whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter. A mistake was made, acknowledge it, move forward, uh, repair, amend for it. But- uh, the, the exact yeah. same story that you're talking about. I retweeted uh, the video of it and I had some commentary and it was picking up traction, had a couple hundred likes. As soon as I realized that it was uh, BS, I just immediately deleted it because uh, I'm the same way, man. Like, you know, obviously I want to be able to get to, I want to break some stories. Like that's always a great feeling, but at the same time, like I want to be right. You know, I'm seeking truth here. There's plenty of lies out there in the world. I want to know what the fuck's actually happening. So I'm not, I'm never going to intentionally mislead my audience. Um, so let's get you out of here on this. I, I constantly have this debate with both my guests as well as myself internally as to whether or not Donald Trump was uh, sincere in his attempts to drain the swamp. If you look at his cabinet, if you look at the people that he he brought in, they were all scum of the earth, deep staters. 
but there's still, you know, tremendous populist support for a, a second term of Donald Trump in 2024. What's your what's your read? I haven't voted since 2004 <laughs> when I heard libertarian candidate for president of these United States, Michael Badnarik, gave yep. a presentation. I was like, that makes sense. The other two don't. And I have stuck with that. And um, Ron Paul I, couldn't get your vote in 08. Come on. By the then, primary? I saw there's no like the system was so rigged, like all these people oh, getting yeah, their yeah, hope yeah. up for Ron Paul was going to not go too far. Right. And I, I've remained apolitical and it helps me remain objective. Now, I want to send uh, thoughts and prayers out for Michael Badnarik because he's struggling with his health right now. And yeah, uh, I hope he makes many more birthdays in this place because he's a Me great too. mind for freedom and liberty. So the Trump question is when that all happened, I don't vote. So I saw both sides and what they're doing. I saw the London school of economics, the Rothschilds and the economists saying, we don't have a vote in your election, but if we did, we'd vote for Hillary Clinton. I saw that same group say Hillary's going to win by 96%, like 96% <laughs> to 4%. Right. So they're right, loading right. it up because they got their chips on the side of slavery. They've traditionally, the Rothschild family backed the democratic, uh, national party in the 1800s time of civil war through the 1900s with uh, august belmont was their front man that controlled that and he's a legit he is their front man he does business on behalf of that banking family in this country when you dig into that because you might say that's not true you're going to learn a lot about the world son so the <laughs> the democratic party which supported slavery the republican party which was the abolitionist party fought against slavery the banking interests sided with the south the rothschilds called Lincoln a thief. Later, Lincoln dies and no one knows really what happened. I don't know mm. if, if there's any connection there. Might have a book in the future on that. Yeah, um, I would imagine. There's, it's interesting. I didn't try to find that out, but along the way of writing Rothschild books, uh, yeah. So the answer <laughs> to the Trump question, he got bailed out in 1991. So, so let me give you the reference first. The reference is a March 1991 Bloomberg article called Donald's Trump card. Now, if you try to look this up, they're not going to let you see it. But you hmm. can take that URL and you can go to the Wayback Machine and you can read. And if you go in a couple pages into that article, which I've done, you're going to read that Wilbur Ross of Rothschild Inc. bailed out Donald Trump and that they decided to keep his name on the buildings for marketing value. And you know mm -hmm. who Trump's first economic secretary was? It was Wilbur Ross when he got you know, when he made president, he paid back his Rothschild debt right away, Shit. right? He surrounded himself in his cabinet with the World Economic Forum. Now, Lincoln did that. He surrounded himself with enemies because he was a strategist. Trump's not a strategist, bro. He eats McDonald's and Diet Coke all day or whatever the fuck. You know, he didn't know any better. So right, don't tell right. me you're going to drain the swamp when you just sold the pumps, bro. Because yeah. the, the cabinet is really who's running the president's actions and the chief of staff. And all the people, those investors, the that funder yep. campaigns it is their will being done to the country not the people's will reflected through this government which again is not that's why i don't vote for no i, I totally get it well the, the reason i've i've struggled with this one is because they did such a good job of demonizing him and making him not i mean i understood like as a marketing principle you know negative press being good press and keeping him in the news cycle like that could have been in the lead up to 2016 and the election that could have been part of their intention to get him into power what i don't understand is why if he is doing their bidding do they you know persecute him his entire term 
it, it doesn't really add up to me. So he's not necessarily like- doing their bidding purposefully. He had a lot of okay. good policy. Like there's a lot of good stuff that actually got done under his his administration because I'm not a fan of any of them, but I know some of them did do better work than others. Of right. Yeah. Um, he's blind and in some ways married into some pressures that might be put into his situation. No he doubt. doesn't have the ability to do a whole lot as a president. Right. Any of the presidents don't have a whole lot of freedom to do as they please. Right. So he's he wants to be in their club. He's never been accepted. They hate him. And the proof of that is like the week after he won, Google says never again. They had the big crybaby meeting and then they helped and they admitted it in Time magazine where they said we rigged the election because it was the thing to, you know, keep Trump out of the White House. Oh, come on. They reinforced the they reinforced it. They reinforced it. All right. Well, that that's a uh, god damn it, man. Well, I you know I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this optimistically. I feel better informed now, and I always feel better when I feel informed, even though it's uh, it's given me a lot less hope about any potential. I see where form. you're at, dude. I got you. I got you. So it sucks to learn about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the tragedy. But the hope is that with learning, we can have, we can make better informed choices. Exactly. Judgments actions we're going to reflect our will more into the world be able to write our script in life so i spent many 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 years just focused on the problem because there's a lot to know about it dude i've read i mean i got this isn't even the library room okay i got other rooms with just books jesus there's a lot to learn if you if no one's pointing it out to you but if someone points it out said hey this is where what's going on you don't need to know everything about the story because you're not looking to convince other people like what i need you know if i talk about lionel curtis I got to build out who this guy was in British culture for you to see why Carol Quigley would be afraid to mention his name in an interview to the New York Times while the guy's got his recording on. He said, you have to turn off the tape recorder. You'll lose your career, maybe your life. Boom. What's going on? Who is this guy? Right. So I have to know a lot about these things to convey it. But for someone to just say, oh, there's a group of people trying to control us in almost every way. And I can liberate myself by by having a garden, not sending my kids to public school, maybe not contributing in the genocide that is going on associated with the government on its own people and people around the world. Right. How many countries are we at war at right now? What part of Syria are we controlling right now as the United States? One third of a country you go, you don't even know about that? How about Yemen? Right. We've been over there helping Saudi and uh, British Empire for a long time. So knowing about the problem is only necessary until you can get into action for the solution. Exactly. And for the past several years, I spend most of my time every week focused on the solutions. So 85% of my work time is solutions oriented with Love individuals it. and small businesses. 15% of my work time, I do Grand Theft World podcast Sunday nights. And we can talk all about the, you know, Virologica Sinica and the monkeypox fragments <laughs> being, you know, cooked up over there by Peter Dazak. And here's the DARPA grant. I'll show you the grant proposals and how they're getting paid. And, how you know, how much do you need to know to take action is my question. I, I couldn't and agree more. And so for more. people who need more, I just keep, you know, keep doing the podcast. <laughs> but for people who know I want to be in action, I either want to raise my skills or grow my business. That's how I uh, help during the week. And and the mechanism by which you help them is through autonomy. If you could just give people a little, little minute, uh, you know, synopsis of what you do over there. Once upon a time in America, we had something called education. You could learn <laughs> it from other people. You could read it from a book. You could ask questions and find answers any way you want. They turn that into schooling as a way to incapacitate your brain, to indoctrinate you into a system. And what's the difference between the mafia and the government? The government, I mean, the mafia doesn't have a 12-year indoctrination system to convince you that they're not the mafia. That's all. (laughs) So 
there's a problem. So I took the skills that they took out of our education to make it schooling, first being free will, free will back into it and the ability to learn and go forward. So I teach people how to learn anything. Then I teach them how to apply that to either the internet or their network. And um, aside from critical thinking, creative problem solving, these sort of things, we teach high level entrepreneur skills, sales, marketing, the entire tech stack that makes companies run online, all the various things that entrepreneurs have to do, all those hats they have to wear. We can help them replace uh, all those hats with uh, coordinated talent with a culture of excellence and integrity to help them grow their business or someone who wants to be a freelancer in that system does that. Or if you want to be an excellent employee or an employee who gets a promotion or becomes an executive, it's all the same thinking, talking, doing, planning, getting things done. It's like some basic things we could all have learned in school if school was supposed to make us thrive and, and survive in the world, you know. But yeah. that's not what the production system puts out. It puts out not excellence. It puts out broken people. So I work with adults. They're ages 18 through 85 from all over the world. We've all been adversely afflicted by that system. And the moment it stops is the moment when we say, oh, maybe it was my fault. Maybe I knew it was like assuming that what they're telling me is true is too good to be true. It takes work to go learn. You got to ask questions and go look stuff up and compare and contrast and remove the contradictions and then come to a judgment and then take action and test it in the world. That's learning. We're not taught how to do that, but once you know how to do that, you can go anywhere you want. It's not based on physical dexterity or you know security clearance, right? So people have an enormous menu in front of them. It's been obscured. I help them wipe that off and map a better goal and a better dream than what they're working on and then give them the modalities to actually get there. And then once they learn how to do that, they're like, oh, this feels better. I'm not waiting for a paycheck or hoping for a job. I know how to make an offer and bring in a dollar. Well, okay, what else do I have to do? make a bigger offer of value, bring in more dollars, do it more often to bigger audiences, bring in more. This is how the economy works. This is what capitalism and agorism, I mean, the, it, whether or not you're using a currency, there's still exchange, there's still trade. There's people who have milk, but they want they want meat, right? And they, they trade or eggs or yeah. water or our new roof. Can I trade you some eggs or can I give you half a pig? Can I get a new roof on here? You got roof stuff, you know? <laughs> this is how civilization has grown. We've also grown with agriculture and ranching over the past 5,000 years. And they want to take that away like this, dude, with pen strokes. And that's why yep. what you're doing, pointing out ESG and how it's not for me, that's a good thing to do in the world right now because too many people unwittingly adopt it. They started with Agenda 21 using the Delphi technique at these public meetings. But now what they're doing is unconscionable. And it's so obvious. They're saying it out loud. If we can just focus it and get people to listen, they would say, nope. No, thank you. I'm going over here now to right. better options and make those uh, systems of control obsolete. So uh, autonomy, I teach it twice a year. The next course uh, is coming up in September. Seats are filling up now. Uh, enrollment's open all year. But if you want to start with a whole bunch of other people and make progress together, which is a whole lot of fun, um, yeah, get autonomy.info forward slash ignite. So if you want the free Love stuff... It. It's slash Freedom Vault. If you want the good stuff, if you think you can complete the audit obstacle course, take it on as a challenge. See if it's a uh, fit for you. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Killer, man. Well, you're, you're making a big difference in the world. I knew this episode would be one of my favorites, and it was. Uh, everybody out there listening, please go check out Autonomy as well as Grand Theft World. Richard Grove, you're a legend. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you, Clint, and thank you to everyone listening. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It means the world to me. The show is exploding in listenership, downloads, views, everything. 
and I couldn't do it without you. I know that it's word of mouth that is largely making this happen, and that means that you guys are putting in as much work as I am. Uh, maybe not, but you're putting in a lot of work. Collectively, you're putting in way more work than I am to get the message out there to people and to let them know there is some truth in the world, and it's free. <laughs> so why not check it out in a couple hours a week, and all of a sudden you can be uh, psychotically red-pilled. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but that's probably what's happening to a lot of you as you listen, because I am certainly becoming more red-pilled as this show progressives, uh, progresses. Thank you so much to Richard Grove for for enlightening myself as well as the audience. He is brilliant. Make sure you go over to Grand Theft World and you subscribe to his podcast. He does these once a week, deep, deep, deep dives. I'm kind of like the distilled version. If you want the backdrop, he's a great resource for that. That man does his homework. The episode, or excuse me, the uh, the event, YAL Revolution, the Young Americans for Liberty Revolution in Orlando is totally sold out. I hope that means that a bunch of my audience will be there. It's going to be a blast. Dave Smith, Ron Paul, I think Spike, I think a bunch of people. A bunch of people are going to be there, including myself, Reed Coverdale, Mark Clare of Lions Liberty, and uh, doing a live podcast. So that's going to be awesome. Obviously, you guys won't be able to attend because it's sold out. However, I believe on Saturday night when the event ends, there will be a Mises Caucus or Libertarian Party of some sort uh, event across the street. So if you're not attending because it's sold out, this is a great opportunity to come and meet some of us if you'd like to. Anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Your support means the world to me. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. And if you want to pick up some Liberty Lockdown merch, go over to toplobster.com and grab some of those sick double pistol shirts. That man's a legend. We're out. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode, your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold, where did it come from and where did it go, it requires a fight, not tweet from your phone, don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne, if you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home, the virus is scared of, will come and it'll go, the government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe, like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening, scared Hollywood left these lyrical feffinin', a typo with Luke might bring the nooses, we all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses, freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit, knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic I rip a 59 Miles to ratio That black guns matter Now all these lefties Got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war But we're ready You know I be bopping And rock steady Liberty lockdown Please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone But yeah it's on hold Where did it come from And where did it go It requires a fight Not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king Get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought You've always got a home The virus is scared of Will come and it'll go The government knows Just don't get treated like a hoe